Well, good morning again. How's everyone doing? After worshiping God, hopefully you're ready now to continue worshiping as we open up the Word of God. If you could turn your Bibles, I always love saying that, but this morning we're going to turn them to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Uh, and if you could take out your message outline, appreciate that. If you don't have a message outline, you can get that right out there, there in the back and pick it up on the ministry counter there. You know, the last few years have been a, a fascination with ancestors. Uh, get to know your ancestors, who they are, uh, websites you can go to, services you can subscribe to that will take you back beyond your grandparents and your great-grandparents and, and hoping you will find maybe some royalty in your family, hoping to find maybe some money that was left that you didn't know about that you should have got, right? Hoping to find those things. The reality is, though, when we look into our family tree, we may just find some forgettable and ordinary people. Or we may find what some would call rascals. Do you have any rascals in your family? You can say, boy, I've really got some in my family in the back and stuff like that. Some are not in their head and say yes. We want to look at the family tree of Jesus, the, the genealogies. I know that doesn't sound exciting, but bear with me. I think it's going to be good. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. It's going to lead us right up to the birth of Christ into our Christmas series. This is the beginning of our Christmas series. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus, or the storyline of Jesus is what we're going to be talking about, the storyline. Matthew's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us a guide for this so we can understand Jesus a little bit better. And he traces the line of Jesus through Joseph all the way back through Abraham, which is good for us to know. And we're going to find in the line of Jesus, there's some big names. There's some big names that there, uh, great figures of faith like Abraham and David, and what Matthew does for us, he takes these names that we have here and rather just make a list of them, he groups them, he strategically groups them for us, includes some, leaves some out, but the list is not complete. But there are three lists of 14 names in each one of these lists, and some of the names are recognizable, like Abraham and David. So why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just list the names and say, here's the names, the, the, the genealogy of Jesus, here's the names? Because he's telling a story. He's telling the storyline of Jesus. In those names themselves that he lists there, we remind us that Jesus is the answer to the promise, is what he's trying to take us to. Here's the answer. Here's our answer, and he's going to point it right to Jesus. When David wanted to build a house for God in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he says, hey, David said, I'm living in this paneled house. I'm living in this palace. And God's living in a tent. He's living in a tabernacle, which is not right. I want to build him a beautiful home. And God says, no, David. I don't want you to build me a house because I want to build you a house. Because from your house will come one who sits on your throne, the throne of his father, David, and he will reign forever and ever and ever is what he's saying. And David's name on that list reminds us that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Fulfillment of the Davidic covenant is what he's talking. But you'll find there's some names in that list. You say, well, I wouldn't have put them on that list. I would have removed those names off that list. There's some broken people on this list that we're going to look at. There's a list of mismatched people, of brokenness, of shame, of, of ruined reputations. People who have been excluded from society, we're going to find it's on this list. Let's look at them. We'll find that in the line of Jesus, there are the humbled and the humiliated. And if you have your outlines, three ways God opens his family to the broken. Number one, God restores our ruined reputations. The book of Matthew begins with the genealogists saying, this is the beginning for Matthew. This is what he's trying to point the people to. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and yes, the next two or three weeks, we're going to be going through some difficult names, so bear with me. Uh, 
a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, uh, uh, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose name was Tamar. Everything was going smoothly till we get to, to the end of verse 2. Everything's going smoothly. We know these names. We know the name of Abraham. He was a man of great faith. He lived in Ur of Chaldees, what is now modern-day Iraq. We know that. And God spoke to him. And Abraham, we may not know this, though, Abraham worshipped other gods. He was an idolater. And God spoke to him, a voice that Abraham had never heard before. He never heard this voice before. And God speaks to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And he says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Just think about that. He never heard this voice, and God speaks to him. And God gave him three promises. He gave him a promise, and he says this, I promise you a land, I promise to make you into a great nation, and I promise from your seed all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And that's Jesus, right? So we go from one man to one nation, Genesis chapter 12. This is where God established the nation of Israel. Right here, Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old. And God said, you're going to have a son. That's grandparent aging, right? Any of you that at that age, that's grandparent aging. You're going to have a son. And from that son, he says, you're going to have a nation. Like the sands of the seas and the stars of the skies are what he said. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, she laughed and said, you've got to be kidding me. Wouldn't you say that if you were that age? You've got to be joking. But they believed and they trusted God. And think about this. 25 years later, it happens. <laughs> Some of you thought that was old. When Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old, it happened then. And Isaac was born. And Isaac was the promise that God promised him. Here's the promise. And Isaac was also a man of faith. He believed in God, and God gave him a wife by the name of Rebekah. And they had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first. They were twins. And then Jacob. But the line was going to go through Jacob. That's a story in itself. That God usually, the firstborn, would inherit, and the line would go through the firstborn. But in Romans 9, it picks up on that and shares that God chooses where the line's going to go through. God chooses people, and I choose Jacob. The line's going through Jacob. So the line was going to go through Jacob. Jacob was a man of faith, but Jacob was also one of those rascals. His name means supplanter. He was a conniver. He was a deceiver. He was a schemer. Later, his name would be changed to Israel, and it's important to understand that because he would have, the Bible says, Judah and his brothers, and they, those would become, in essence, his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where we get the 12 tribes, from Jacob's sons, 12 sons. So Judah, the tribe would come through Judah. The line would come through Judah, the tribe of Judah. Always remember that. Jesus came through what line? Judah. Judah. It's very important. He came through that line. So that takes us to the end of verse 2, and everything is good. And then verse 3 happens. Let me read it. It may not look on the surface, but we understand what happened. Then Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. There is a story here where things are going to get weird. It's going to get kind of weird here. Anybody have any weirdness in their family line? You have any weirdness that's going on in your family line? Things are going to get weird. Some of you are laughing and, and poking the other one. But what happens, Judah is a son by the name of Ur, and he found a wife for his son, a lady by the name of Tamar. And the problem is, Ur dishonored God big time. The Bible says that he was wicked. So God took him. He died. He died. So there's a provision in the Old Testament times that if an older brother dies and has a wife, and they don't have children, and the nearest of relatives could marry her, and they can marry her and have children and carry on the family line. 
right? And that's what would happen. So Ur's brother, Onan, he took Tamar as his wife. The problem was he was a lot like his older brother, and he dishonored God, and he died. He died too. So Tamar is a little frustrated because she doesn't have any children. Now she's went through two brothers. So Judah says, I've got another brother, another son by the name of Shelah. Apparently they wanted uh, a daughter, right? Shelah. And he says, if you wait, my son Shelah, he's not old enough yet. He's not ready to get married. But if you wait long enough, he can marry you. And then you can have children and carry on the family name. Years went by, but Judah never planned on giving his son uh, to him. He never wanted them to have uh, uh, his son. He already lost two sons to Tamar. He was about to lose a third son. So he's going to do it. So years went by, and Tamar finally figured that out. He's not going to give me his son, she- Sheila. So he, she was angry and frustrated, so she developed a plan. And here comes the weirdness. Her plan was that she would dress up like a prostitute. And Judah, the Bible says, at a time of his loneliness, hires a prostitute, didn't know it was Tamar because she covered her face, and they had two sons from that, which is Perez and Zerah. And so the line was going to go through Perez. line's going to go through him. I've got to ask you a question. If you're making putting the lineage together, the lineage of Jesus, couldn't you have just said Judah had a son by the name of Perez? Couldn't you just have said that? And all that story that I just mentioned to you, including Tamar, didn't have to be included, right? I mean, wouldn't it have been better? I mean, I mean, you look at this. Why would God do something like that? Why would he do it? Wouldn't it have been better you take all that story and you lift up the rug and just slide it underneath the rug and say, let's not even mention it. Let's just get rid of this. It doesn't need to be in here. Why would God do that? Why would he mention that part of the story? Is it possible that through the Holy Spirit, God was trying to tell them and tell us that there's room in the line of Jesus for people with ruined reputations? There's room in the line of Jesus with people who are broken. What do you think? And aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad it's like that? If the line of Jesus only included perfect people, there would be no one in line. If God only chose to use perfect people, he'd still be waiting, right? None of us are perfect. The very fact that this story is included in Scripture with this ugliness and all this horrible story, that's a horrible story, it's a story of God's grace, how God's grace can take something that is bad and how God can make it into something good. Even in the line, including in the line of Jesus. Just think of that. The royalty. Just think of that. In the line of Jesus. We take great hope in that. All of us do. Because all of us are broken people with ruined reputations, right? All of us. We take great hope in that. The second way God opens up his family to the broken is, number two, God covers our disgrace. And not only is God's family open to the humble, the humiliated, and to the broken, by taking those of ruined reputation, but God covers our disgrace. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, the second part of verse 3, and the first part of verse 4. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Minadab, Minadab, the father of Nashem. We have all these names, but we don't know much about these men. And the last four names that I mentioned cover about 400 years, and yet they give us this historical context here, and give us a line for the lineage of Jesus through Joseph, which is going to be very helpful for us as we read on to find that the fulfillment is going to come through David. It's very important, David. And so let's continue reading. Nashon, the father of Salmon, that's the way you pronounce it. We say Salmon, or Salmon is his name. Can you imagine naming your son Salmon? Salmon, he's going out and he's probably talking to say, Dad, why did you name me that? 
Because when I go and play with the kids out in the, my wife's looking at me, when I go and play the kids out, out in the playground, they say, hey, where's your sister Walleye? Where's your brother Trout, right? <laughs> so, so verse 5, I had to say that. Sal- Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Does Rahab ring any Bible bells? Of course she does. Let's get a little of the historical context of Rahab. She was living in the city of Jericho. She is a Canaanite. The children of Israel had come to the brink of the promised land 40 years earlier. Remember what happened? They come to the brink of the promised land, so they send in 12 spies. 12 spies go in and check out the land, and the land is everything that God has said, flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But the spies come back, and the 10 spies say it's everything God said, but there are four to five cities that we can't take, and there's giants living in the land that we can't take. And 10 of the spies say that two others Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take it. If God has given it to us, we can take it. They listened to the ten spies, and they didn't go in the land, so they, so they were disobedient to God. So God allowed them to wander in the desert for the next 40 years because of their disobedience. They could have went in. They chose not to. So God goes, yeah, being disobedient, they wandered in the desert for 40 years to the south and the east of the desert. Now God is bringing them back again. Moses is bringing them back to the brink of the promised land right here. They're about ready to go in. But the Bible tells us that Moses dies at Mount Nebo. And looking across the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, you can see the promised land. But because of Moses' own sin, he wasn't able to enter into the promised land because of something that he did. So Joshua is going to lead them across. And actually through the Jordan River during flood season, and God miraculously opens up the Jordan River and they're able to walk through on dry ground. And so they build a monument on the other side so they never, ever would forget what God did. And the first city they come in contact with is, I mentioned it last week, what is it? Jericho. They come to Jericho. Jericho is a walled city. It's a fortified city. So their first plan of attack, they're going to do the same thing. We're going to send spies in there to kind of do a recon, to kind of scope it out, to develop a plan. They send spies in, and the spies were discovered. They found out there were spies there. So Rahab, she's mentioned here, she hid them. Are you ready for this? Her occupation, she was a prostitute, and she hid them in her house. The Bible says that she had heard about the power and the glory of God, and she was very, very impressed about their God. Everyone was impressed about their God. So by her faith, she risked her own life to save the lives of those people, right? And and there's a chapter in the Bible called the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, and God put her name in that chapter. Listen to what it says In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She was known for a great sin, but by God's grace, he covered her great sin because of her faith, right? And God allowed a prostitute to be in the line of Jesus, of that royal line there. We see this, and that's amazing. That's God's grace. That's how God works, right? God's amazing, amazing grace was in the early 70s. Probably many of you were not alive at that time. Some of you were. And the Nixon administration was in power. And uh, this whole thing, I don't know if you've ever heard about, was called the Watergate scandal. Anybody hear about the Watergate scandal? The Watergate scandal, if you thought everything was going on lately, when that was out, it was all over the news in America, but all across the world, the Watergate scandal. And and, uh, the hatchet man for the Nixon administration at that time was a guy named by Chuck Colson. He was brilliant. He was aggressive. He was an overachiever. What happened, along with the Watergate scandal, he was found guilty, and he served seven months in prison because of what he did. 
Uh, where do you go after you've been so high in a president's administra- administration and then by your own actions, you have now been disgraced? I mean, what do you do now? It's even, where do you go? Where do you future? How do you go on with that? Well, everybody in the world recognized him. He couldn't go and say, well, I'll live over here. Wherever he went, everybody recognized wherever he went and everything. So where do you go? In his pain and in his loneliness and his disgrace, God found him, and God wonderfully saved him, saved Chuck Colson. And he tells us the story in his first book that he wrote, uh, Born Again, how God took this man and covered his disgrace with his love. That was the first of about 30 books that he wrote and received about 15 honorary doctorate degrees from different organizations, not because of Watergate, not because what he had done, but because the power of Jesus so changed his life. So God's grace covered that disgrace for him, and then he went on and even found a Christian organization called Prison Fellowship. How many have heard of that? Prison Fellowship. And and because God had given him a burden for prisoners— because he was in prison, so now he had a burden for prisoners. And because of that ministry, now hundreds of thousands of prisoners around the world have had their lives changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ through a man who was disgraced, was disgraced, but God's love covered the, that scope of that disgrace of this man, Chuck Colson. God did something wonderful in his life, and he used him in a mighty way, and many thousands of people have come to know Christ. You see, there's some people that think that the line of Jesus is only for those who've got it together. It's only for those people who who kind of clean and have no major outward sins. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not it at all. If God were looking for perfect people, he'd still be looking. Because none of us are perfect. We all have our faults. We all have our sin. Every one of us in this room, we have them. So the third way God opens up his family to broken people is this way. Jesus cleanses us from our sin. By the blood of Jesus, he takes our dirt, dirtiness, and, and all of our dirt, it takes us dirty, and he makes us clean is what he does. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And here's the thing. Some people come into church, and, and uh, they don't serve because of their past. They say, boy, my past is too messed up. And, and so they say, I've done too much. You don't understand my past. So they're spending their time, they're, they're trying to sanitize their past to clean themselves up for Jesus. And what I want to say to you, don't waste your time in doing that. Or don't waste your time to try to reestablish your reputation or delete your disgrace. Because Jesus did that when he was on the cross for you. He took all that disgrace. He took all that reputation. He took it for you. So you don't have to do that, right? And all you have to do is come by faith and repentance and accept Jesus by faith and recognize you're a sinner and accept him by faith. That's all you got to do. That's God's grace. That Jesus takes all that from you and he gives you his righteousness. That you are right with God through Jesus Christ. We may not be prostitutes. We look at this lady Rahab. We may not be prostitutes. But maybe all of us, we have, all in the past, we have prostituted ourselves in a spiritual sense by chasing after other gods and putting other things before God. So in a spiritual sense, we've all prostituted ourselves to other gods. We've all done that. Went after other gods and put them before God. And Jesus is saying to all of us, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come with your past. And Jesus said, I'll take it. Whatever it may be, I'll take it. And the past that we have may be part of our story, but because of the cross, it's not part of our identity. Jesus took that. That's not your identity. What's your identity? You are, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in Christ. That's your identity. Not your past. You are in Christ. Let's share. I want to share one more name. 
with you. We read it a few, we're going to read a few more names, but I'm going to emphasize one name here. Let's look at the last part of verse 5. So Salmon, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, we, we notice some names here. We recognize some. You remember David. Let me just give you a little insight for David and talk more about him next week. He was supposed to be anointed by Saul. Uh, Samuel went to the house, to his father's house, Jesse, David's father's house, Jesse, to anoint one of his sons as king. He goes there, and Jesse, the father, brings out the sons that he thought could be king. And he brings them in front of Sam, Samuel. And Samuel's supposed to anoint one of the kings. And God says, I haven't chosen any king. And Samuel looks at Jesse, do you have any other sons? And he goes, well, I got the shepherd boy, my youngest boy, is out there in the field. Bring him in. He brings him in. And as soon as he brings him in, God says, that's the one I've chosen. Anoint him as king. See, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And aren't you glad about that? Well, all these guys that looked, they looked at the heart, and they said, God says, no, I'm not looking at that. He said, they're looking at the outside. God says, I look at the heart, and this guy's a man after my own heart. So he chooses David. But his grand, great-grandmother's name is stated here. That's the one I want to focus on. And her name is Ruth. All three women that I've talked to you about here today are all Gentiles. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. All Gentiles. They're not Jews. They're all Gentiles. The story of Ruth, she lived on the eastern side of the Dead Sea from the land of Moab. So she wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't from that community of faith. She didn't know God. But her mother-in-law... Naomi did. And with her two sons, came to Moab, and she found wives for her sons in Moab. And then her sons died, and Ruth was one of those wives. Was one of those wives. So the time came, the mother-in-law said to the two daughter-in-laws, I'm going home to Israel. I'm going back to my tribe, to the Judah area. I'm going there. That was her tribal area. She said, I'm going home. Remember, Judah is the, tri is the line of Jesus, right? So I'm going back home to my tribal area. You two stay here. Go serve your own gods. Go back to your gods. And Ruth says, no, I'm not going back. And she gives us those famous words that sometimes people take and they write on their wedding rings or, or they write on their vows. Let me read you the words. It's kind of long, but let me read it to you. What she says to Naomi, her mother-in-law. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. So they go back to the land of Israel, and she is a foreigner there. She's a foreigner. She's not from there. A Gentile. No money. Nobody fighting for her cause other than her mother-in-law. That's probably just as destitute as she is. And so remember, I, I mentioned to you before, I think I mentioned to you before, that the corners of the fields in the Old Testament times, according to the book of Leviticus, the they weren't supposed to be touched. When the farmers would kind of take in the crop, they would leave the, the corners of the fields. It was for the foreigners and the poor people so they could eat. So if the harvesters had gone through with the fields, these people, these gleaners who had nothing, who were kind of excluded from society, would come in to grab this food that was left, or whatever is left, so they could eat. Ruth was one of those people, a foreigner, and also she was poor. So remember the Kingsman Redeemer. It also fits here. Her husband died, but her husband was a Jew, right? Her husband was a Jew. So there's a family that is close. They could come, and, and who doesn't have a wife? It'd become her husband, and he could carry on the family name. So God brought into Ruth's world a man by the name of Boaz, 
uh, who was a wealthy man who had lots of fields. But before he met his wife, he was a ruthless man. Oh, no. Let me say that. Come on, guys. You've got to give me some credit here. Before Boaz met his wife, he was a ruthless man, right? Okay. So, <laughs> I was one of your way. Let's just see if you're way. And God brought them together. And this person was excluded from the norms of society. He brought them, and he brought them in, and she was written in the line of Jesus. This lady who was not from Israel, was not from that tribe, she was written in the line. You say, wow. And you have these three ladies, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, Gentiles, written in the line of Jesus. But when you look at it, you think, this is the line of Jesus? This is what I think would be the line of Jesus. This is the line. We start from a man. And go to Abraham, go from one man to a nation, all these names down to this man, and then we get down to the God-man, Jesus, right? That's what we get to. Who was born of a woman, a virgin, not, not uh, conceived by a man, the Bible says, and, but then it stops. The line of Jesus stops right after that, right? It stops. All the way from Abraham, all the way to Jesus, because he had no wife, he had no children, the line just stops right there. Right after Jesus, it stops. By the way, if you pick up a novel or anything, you can find those novels out there. One of them says that Jesus re never really died on the cross. But when they put him in the tomb, it was kind of cool, and it kind of revived him. And he woke up, and he rolled back the stone, and he moved the grace with, along with Mary Magdalene, and they, had, they got married, and they had children, right? It's a very fanciful story, but it's blasphemous. Anytime you're reading anything, you always want to check it with the Word of God. And there's nowhere in the Word of God that says anything like that, right? Nothing says anything like that. That Jesus did die on the cross. He was buried. He really died. And he rose from the grave, and he came out of that grave on the third day, and then he ascended into heaven later on. So Jesus had no offspring, right? He had no offspring. Or did he? Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. The way you usually find the book of Isaiah, open your Bible right in the middle. And you usually can find right around Psalms or, or Isaiah. It usually might have to turn to the right just a little bit in Isaiah. But Isaiah, Isaiah 53, eight centuries before Jesus came to the earth, this is written. Isaiah wrote this prophecy that is absolutely beautiful, what he writes here. He talks about how Jesus was going to come. And I want us to first look at our memory verse, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. He says that we all, like sheep, God looks at us, you and I are like sheep. And that's a whole message in itself. Why does he look at us like sheep? He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. This was written eight centuries before Jesus would come to the earth. And it says that we all, you and I, everyone that's ever been born, he says, are like sheep. And we've turned away from God and we went our own way. That's the definition of sin. Anytime we turn away from God and we go our own way, that defines sin. And now God has taken all those iniquities, all that sin that we've done, and he's placed them upon Jesus, is what it's saying. And, and so th then it comes to verse 7. And it basically says in verse 7 how Jesus was going to be pierced for our transgressions, how he's going to be crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed, right? By his wounds. What happens on that cross, we are, we are healed. Then it says something in Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11. That's the one I want to look at. It says that it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Jews were involved. The Romans were involved. Yet it wasn't God's plan. It would have never happened. It was God's will to crush him too. Just to understand it. It was God's will to crush his own son. It was God's will. 
And then it says in verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. Wait a minute. Jesus had offspring? That's what it says there, right? He had offspring. And it goes on, and prolong his days. There will be a resurrection. There will be eternal life. And he lives to make intercession for us. But let's read on in verse, into verse 10. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, talking about Jesus, he will see the light of life, light of life, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. My righteous servant will justify many. In other words, make righteous because of the work of the cross is what Jesus does for us. So we have here, in Matthew chapter 1, we have three sets of 14 names each. Then you have Jesus, and it just stops. There's no physical offspring is what we say. But he has offspring. Those to come, who come to know him by faith are his offspring. John 1, 12, the, John, the apostle, writes in the Gospel of John, he says, Yet to all received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's important. Children of God. Whoever receives him, we find by faith in Jesus, those are the offspring. Those are his offspring, is what it's saying. Those are offspring. And it's the many as the sands of the sea, millions and millions, millions, many as the stars in the sky, millions and millions of people. And just like in the line of Jesus, just like in the line we're reading in Matthew chapter 1, this group is filled with brokenness. This group is filled with people with ruined reputations. This group is filled with people in deep sin that needs to be covered by blood. Every one of them. And, and it's filled with people who have been excluded from society, who've all come and put their faith and trust in Jesus, who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's his spiritual offspring. So we're the offspring of Jesus, the spiritual offspring of Jesus. When we say he doesn't have any offspring, he doesn't have any physical, but he has spiritual. And you or I are them who has put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, some people say, my children brought me uh, to faith. They shared the gospel with me. Some people will say, no, my parents or my grandparents shared Jesus with me, and I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior the fact of the matter is he's saying to all of us, as his offspring, we are his spiritual offspring, all of us, now go into the world and we're to make disciples of all nations, of all people, bring them back in the family, millions and millions of people he wants us to reach. For us to reach the people in our, our social circle, whoever they are, your family, your friends, your neighbor, whoever it may be, you're to reach them at your workplace. That's our challenge as well, especially during Christmas time as we see this Christmas season. Let's rejoice that we're part of this family, right? That you're part of the family of God. You're part of his spiritual offspring of Jesus, the Bible talks. We belong to Jesus. And if you're not, you can be. Maybe you're here today and you say, boy, you were talking about me, Pastor, because I've done so many wrong things. My past keeps me from coming to church. My past keeps me from taking the next step because I've some, done so many bad things. And what I need to do, I kind of need to kind of sanitize my life. I need to clean my life up before I can accept Jesus. And if I could just share with you, don't do that. Don't waste your time in doing that. What you couldn't do in a lifetime, what you couldn't do in a thousand lifetimes, Jesus can do in a moment. He can wash you clean. Just like that. By you coming and you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and you accept him by faith. In that very moment, he washes you clean. And what you and I couldn't do if we had a thousand lifetimes, 
100,000 like we could never do that for ourselves. And Jesus does it just right that. As soon as we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And he makes us part of our, his family. And we are his spiritual offspring. And we are guaranteed and promised not only to know him here, but we will be with him for all of eternity because we are his offspring and we belong with him. Matter of fact, he calls us, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We will reign with Jesus. So he lifts us to the lowest and raises it up. You are part of my family now when you accept Christ as your Savior. That's what he thinks of us. And, that, and if you've never accepted him, put your faith and trust in Jesus by simply coming and saying, you know, I, I know I'm a sinner, and I understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And if God is leading you by the Holy Spirit right now, you understand that, take that next step. Just take that next step and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Just knowing about Jesus will not save you. Listen to me. Just because you say, I know about Jesus, and I know that Jesus died on the cross, I know he's buried and raised on the third day, that will not, that will not save you. That will not get you, you into heaven. Many people who know about Jesus, but they're not going to heaven. The only way you're going to heaven, John 1, 12 says, yet to who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who reach out and accept him by faith, confess it with their mouth and believe in our heart, then we'll save. We've got to accept it. We've got to receive it. There has to be some point in your life where you've come to this point and said, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross of my sin. So today, I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to trust him as my Savior that he died for me. If you don't have that point in your life, you need to do that. No one automatically goes to heaven. No matter how much, no matter how wonderful a person they are, no matter how good they are, no good person in this earth will get to heaven because we're all sinners. The only one that is good is Jesus. The only way we get to heaven is through Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that. Only through him. It's only through Jesus. You've never put your faith, you've never come to that point of doing Do that today. If you have questions, please see me after that. In this family of God, the Bible says there will be people from every race, tongue, and nation. Not just us. There will be ever, so many people. Let's take this mission. If you're part of the family of God, if you're his spiritual offspring, you accepted Jesus Christ your Savior, we're to go and make disciples, and we're to build his church. We're to take it seriously, especially this Christmas season. Let's invite people to church so they can hear about Jesus, how they can come to know him as Savior. If you don't know him, accept him today. If you do know him, you are part of the family of God, and you are there now to go and make disciples, sharing Jesus Christ, this wonderful news about Jesus with others. That's why they give us the family line. Help us to know, do you know who he is? If Jesus just isn't another man. He's the God man. He's different from everyone else. He's in a class all by himself. The Bible talks about him. In the beginning was the word, John 1, that this same Jesus that came through David's line is the same Jesus that was in the beginning with God. The Father created all things, Jesus was. So Jesus is God. And he came down to become a man, to die on the cross for your sins, so you and I would spend an eternity with him in heaven. And if you've never put your faith and trust, please see me after the service. Please do that. Take that step. For all of us who know him, let's take the next step with him. And let's be obedient by sharing the wonderful message of Jesus with others this Christmas season. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, Lord, because you, got, you created this, Lord. Lord, you had a certain plan and will for us, but Lord, we've all been disobedient. We've all went our own ways. We've all went and been disobedient from you, Lord, and, and Lord, and you laid the iniquity of us all, all of our sins upon Jesus. 
and Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we're, we're forgiven and saved through Jesus. If there's anyone here that does not understand that, if there's anyone here that have never done that, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to them right now. And help them to realize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And the only one you have sent to save them is one person, one person alone, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save them from their sins. And Lord, they would come to understand that through, through you opening their eyes and their ears and their hearts to you this morning. And they might put their faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sin. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful. And I pray for that soul that doesn't know you. But all of us that know you, Lord, we come and we're so thankful that we do know you. And we're not an accident to just happen to stumble into the family of God. That, Lord, you drew us close to you. You're the one that draws us. And that we are your spiritual offspring, those who know Jesus Christ, your Savior. And, Lord, you saved us for a reason. As our last series we talked about, to be your representative here on this earth, to go tell others how good Jesus is. But, Lord, in order to do that, we need to live the life that we'd help live the obedient life before you so we can share that gospel message so people can see it lived in the field. But, Lord, help us to be faithful this year. That as we go to family members and friends and go to work and in our community, wherever we go, that we might share the good news of Jesus, how they too can be part of the family of God by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, you send us all as your family member, as your family, out into the world to share good news of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. We're so thankful for our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord. We're so thankful that it completely saves us, Lord. We don't have to wonder, am I might going to heaven? If we know Jesus, we're guaranteed to be going to heaven with you. There's no ifs and ands about it. No one can take that from us. It's eternal life. It's a guaranteed life that you've given to us. So I, I pray that we all would understand that. And I pray if anybody hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus, they would today. Lord, as we sing this next song, that our hearts and minds would realize how great you truly are and that you're in a category all by yourself. It is you that moves in our hearts and minds, Lord, as we yield our hearts and minds to you to accomplish amazing and wonderful things. Lord, we ask all these things today, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.